if you find the advocate or if you find someone on the leadership team that understands, that empathizes, or that probably have a living experience of a loved one that used to um, have some therapeutic recreation input, then that's the person that you need to talk to. Welcome to Engaged in Rec, the podcast that explores the world of recreation therapy. In this podcast, I dive deep into the world of recreation, examining the latest trends, tools, and resources that are available to us, activity professionals in the field. Each episode, I sit down with organizations and individuals who are at the forefront of providing these essential services learning from their experiences and their expertise, and laughing along with them as they tell me their stories from being in the field. Whether you're a seasoned vet or just starting out, Engaged in Rec is your go-to resource for staying up to date with the latest developments in recreation therapy and activity programming for those that work with seniors and older adults. So join me, Karina, as I help you stay engaged in Rec. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Engaged in Rec. Karina here, your host, and today I have somebody all the way from New Zealand who is hopping on Engaged in Rec with me. I have somebody that has quite a few different titles under her name. I will give her an introduction. She has, she is the president of the New Zealand Society of Diversional and Recreation Therapy, the executive board member of Allied Health, Lego-based therapy facilitator, board of trustees for Project Village. There's so many here. Hold on. Advisory <laughs> specialist for Scott Holland Healthcare, honorary advisory from Loneliness New Zealand, certified Montessori dementia care professional, and her name is Orquida Tamayo Motera. And I'm so happy that you're here. Thank you for coming on Engaged in Rec. Oh, thank, thank you, Karina. I really, really do appreciate the invitation and taking the time to do this today. I checked out your LinkedIn and that's where I got all of those different titles from. <laughs> but that was just on the first page. So <laughs> tell me. You have, you have been stalking me then. I have. I have a little, <laughs> just a teensy bit. Um, so tell me a little bit about your background and recreation therapy, how it came into your life. Yeah, definitely. Look, um, so Kia ora now. That's what we say in New Zealand. Um, hello, everyone. How are you doing? That's Tereo. <laughs> um, well, I am originally from Mexico. I was born in uh, Coatzacoalco, so that's in the south of in the south of Mexico, and I have been in New Zealand since 2007. I was very lucky to live in Toronto before I moved to New Zealand. So hey, I have Canada. a very special, yes, yeah, so I have a very special uh, soft spot for Canadians. Um, <laughs> and um, my background actually is um, on international relations and human rights. And it was until I came to New Zealand that I did my, um, they call it national certification in diversional therapy back on the days. Um, okay. I've always been passionate about the way that you use recreation. So back in, back in Mexico, we actually call it diversion um, just because that's the name in Spanish, but it's actually recreation. Mm -hmm. And and I think for me, it was the way that you utilize uh, leisure 
to enhance people's well-being and how how the the medical models do not recognize that at the end of the day, even if you're a GP or a registered nurse or an occupational therapist or a physiotherapist, you do have your own moments of recreation, right? Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, they do it, but they sometimes haven't recognized that as a proper profession. So that kind of became a little bit of a quest. And then um, it, it became like a little bit of, you know, a purpose. And then I actually realized it was a calling. So when you become a recreational therapist or you are working in therapeutic recreation, I, I have confirmed that you really need to be passionate about it. And that is a true calling because working with people, you, you, you have to really look at the whole person. You can't just look at uh, one side of the person, right? Like maybe other uh, practices might do. Like for example, my physiotherapist colleagues, obviously they will focus on uh, maximizing independence through mobility. Mm-hmm. While we have to focus on the whole hum- human, right? So that's... um. That's how I I became more more and more interested, and I started doing um, you know my own research and talking to key stakeholders, and that has become my my journey so far. You know, knocking on doors and and making sure that people understand the importance of our profession and trying to break barriers, uh, trying to highlight that at the end of the day, recreation is a human right. Do you think that since the pandemic has happened that recreation has been more recognized? Yeah, definitely. And look, it was um, a very interesting because um, we know that, you know, we, we, we are uh, social animal, animals. So we are, we are meant to be connected, right? But we, it's, it's like they say, uh, you do not appreciate things until you, have, until you don't have them any longer. So the silver lining for me during the pandemic was to to see how people were getting, I mean, anxious, obviously, because of the uncertainty of um, an illness that we didn't have a clue of what it was about. Yeah. Uh, But at the same time, the biggest one was the impact of just keeping people away from people. Um, Mm -hmm. And and it was, you know, um, a huge unprecedented, like, how can you do that? Um, and getting governments involved and um, making laws about, you know, you have to do vaccination to have this job. Um, it, it was chaos. But yeah. the silver lining for me was the role of the diversion and recreational therapies, at least in New Zealand. It became an essential role, which has never been in the country. Normally, an essential role will be a registered nurse or a caregiver or a doctor. Yeah. But a recreational therapist was never recognized as a healthcare professional that was in charge of enhancing the psychosocial well-being and the emotional well-being of people during lockdown. So it was huge. Um, and people began to recognize, wow, what would have happened if we did not have a recreational therapist in the workplace? during the lockdown, doing the one-on-one visits or uh, cheating up the staff or uh, cre- coming out with these amazing creative ideas about how to uh, keep people connected. 
So definitely, I I see COVID as a friend of recreational therapies in that way. I don't think it's a good thing to have COVID into our lives, but it has definitely highlighted that we are an essential workforce and that we need to have more support on the global stage. I agree. I agree. And so throughout this whole time, probably throughout COVID and everything, you were most likely connecting with other um, countries, other leaders, global leaders. Um, Can you tell me a little bit about how not only during COVID, but what is going on in the recreation world in all of these other countries? I know that's a huge question, but. (laughs) (laughs) And look, and and I will be able to share, obviously, just from my experience and the relationships that and relationships and friendships that I, that I already have. But um, previous to COVID, we, well, in, I used to go to the conferences in Australia. So we have, a long-standing relationship with um, ARTA now, which is which it's the former Diversion and Recreational Therapy Australia, mm-hmm. and DTAG, which is Diversion and Therapy Association of Japan. So I've been to both places to to do presentations, and and that it is not that, that that was all, but all the information that we used to get in the past was just online um, about. ATRA or CTIA. Um, we didn't know about other providers, for, for example, NAPA in the UK or NAP in the USA. And through through the pandemic, I think what I did, and I wasn't only and it wasn't only me, it was all of them. We kind of came together and we started sharing resources. And it was amazing because it kind of opened the doors for recreational therapies or activity professionals or activity providers or whatever the name is that they are known in other countries to realize, hey, wow, actually, I'm not alone. There's a lot of people that are actually doing something similar to what I'm doing. Probably they have a different qualification or a higher qualification, a different title, yet the focus is on the health and well-being of the people that we are providing support, the people that we're caring. So we, I think the biggest one was to share resources. We open our resources. All our resources were free and we start sharing um, uh, through emails, through the websites, through webinars. We hosted the first international knowledge exchange um, and we opened that to everyone in the whole planet. You're just Amazing. more than welcome to click on it and just join the join the sessions and get to know about the history of the organization, what we do, why we're here, and how we can support you. So it was a huge team effort. I don't see it as, um, you know, just being me, but every single one of us actually wanted to open the doors for more people to see that we were not alone. And I think that was quite quite crucial during that time. What's something that you've noticed that is very different within the recreation field from one country to another? Um, obviously, the qualifications is the biggest one. Um, there are places, for example, in Japan, um, and a huge acknowledgement to President Takako Serizawa, because she has been trying to get, in Japan is known as diversional therapy only. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have been trying to get the uh, the profession recognized, but they do have a very clinical um, approach in her country. So she has knocked in 
I could easily say thousands of doors. Wow. And it has been only until recently that she was able to talk to some members of parliament, I believe, that were able to understand where she was coming from. Um, and she's now doing a few, teaching a few um, papers on what diversional therapy is in Japan. They haven't got a formal qualification, but what she does is she provides a basic training that she calls DT, DT course, and it's open to any healthcare professional. So you can be a registered nurse or an OT or a physio or a doctor, but anyone gets a chance to access that training. And it's about um, the importance of using therapeutic um, approaches in that sense. Okay. And that's what I know about Japan. And she works really, really hard. And Takako is close to her 80s. And she wow. goes around all over Japan, um, training and knocking on doors and talking to people. So huge praise to her. About Australia, so they are, um, they have higher qualifications than what we do in New Zealand. So they do have um, a bachelor's, which is great. And we praise them for that. They have been running, I believe they're close to 15 years now. The, the association has such. Um, and in the UK, um, Hillary is the executive director for NAPA. And they only have, I believe, the maximum is a level three qualification. So it's it, it includes the basics on how to do activities. But similar to, to Japan, there is still a little bit of lack of recognition of those roles. Um, it's more like, so, so we are doing um, a lot of activities and meaningful activities. Um, however, the specific role of the activity provider has a future professional recreational therapies they are not there yet but they are working on it and they have made some amazing improvements um obviously with our friends from atra they have been there forever and um we keep in communication uh brent who is the executive director he's very supportive and we do also have a lot of people from uh, the United States that um, provide us with advice or we can reach out to them. Our friends from NAAP uh, in the United States also. So I'm actually coming to Nevada next month to, hey. uh, to do some presentations for them. Um, and they focus mostly in uh, geriatric settings. So they are also doing an amazing job and they did provide thousands and thousands of resources during the pandemic. And obviously with CTIA, um, we do have a memorandum of understanding and we do have communications with Tanya, your executive director, director and your past president, Glenn, um, and always open uh, the same to share information. So I think it's getting out there. Um, I have also been talking with some people in Spain and Mexico, um, there's a huge need. There is an increasing need of using therapeutic recreation to enhance people's well-being, regardless of your culture, regardless of your language. It has been acknowledged that through the use of proper therapeutic recreation, people actually can flourish. Oh, a thousand percent. A thousand percent. One of my questions for you that I have is um, the cultural differences that are throughout the world, obviously, but how mm. how do you think that activity professionals um, should 
handle cultural differences during the implementation of their recreation therapy programming that they're doing. Yeah, look, that's um, that's key, especially in these days. When I um, when I do education for people, I always emphasize cultural safety is not an option any longer, or cultural intelligence intelligence mm-hmm. is not an option any longer. In our profession, it's a must. It's a non-negotiable. Why? Because I mean, look at me. When I think about me, I was born in Mexico. My mother tongue is Spanish. If I am to develop dementia while I'm living in New Zealand or Alzheimer's or Lewy body and I go into a care facility and they do not understand where I am coming from, it is very likely that I'm going to be misunderstood. It is very likely that the assessment is not going to reflect exactly my needs and at the same time the care plan that the recreational therapies might be putting in place will actually not be the goal that I want to achieve. So knowing exactly where the person is coming from, but at the same time, having the ability to recognize when not to make assumptions, it's equally important. So I am, I am, um, I would say I feel privileged to, to live in New Zealand in the sense of we have a very strong focus on cultural safety in which we also recognize um, the inequalities that are in the healthcare system and how we try to address them. And that is part of the recreational therapy training. And my recommendation to everyone out there is that you, you really need to not just look at the person, but cultural, um, culturally speaking and spiritually speaking, you really need to dig a little bit more especially if you are working with people going through mental health, illness, or uh, older people at the end of life or uh, through the palliative care journey. Um, Recognizing what are the values that they have, uh, what are the cultural needs that they have, uh, the specific programs that you can put in place for them will, will really bring quality of life to that person. I think that sometimes... When you're working for a larger company, let's say, um, in retirement, assisted living, independent living type type setting, the company at some points can put people into a box, right? And say, like, yeah. these are the programs that we offer. But they don't look at the entire person as a whole. And they yes. don't identify the different needs of each individual that is one of their residents. Yes. Do you have yeah, any advice no, I, for for recreation professionals that are, are yeah, dealing with that? Definitely. And look, and I think part of our profession and it's quite clear and um, it's part of our standards. And, and this one is kind of like a, a like a global standard, right? Um, advocacy. But also yeah. it's not just advocating for other people, but it's also self-advocacy. And sometimes I think we need to make some improvements on that because we do recognize things. We are pretty good. We have very special skills on how to recognize when something is wrong. And we have this very strong sense of social justice and human awareness. Yet, when we have to actually raise the issue or the problem or the need to higher levels or the decision makers, we are not good at. And that's where advocacy is so important. Knowing the channels, knowing the policies, 
but also knowing how to utilize them to effectively make cultural change. We know that sometimes, well, in most of the cases, the recreational therapist might not be the decision maker on these large companies or organizations. Mm -hmm. However, if you find the advocate or if you find someone on the leadership team that understands, that empathizes, or that probably have a living experience of a loved one that used to um, have some therapeutic recreation input, then that's the person that you need to talk to. And it's not gonna be, I'm not gonna say that it's gonna change in 24 hours. It's something that takes time, but it does require a lot of conversation. It's about building the trust, but at the same time using practical examples for the person that you are talking to so that they understand where you are coming from. Sometimes we do not know how to articulate the message. And I have been there myself in the past. I'm not saying that I am perfect now, but now I have learned that there are processes, there are policies, there are procedures, um, where the person is coming from, right? Yeah. Um, and then I will identify, okay, so this is probably the person that I need to approach. These are the people that I have to talk to. Um, and that really helps a lot. And like I said, change doesn't happen in one day, but it's about um, being consistent in the message. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that sometimes recreation therapists are kind of looked, I, this is going to be sad. This is going to sound sad, but we're kind of looked <laughs> down upon because it's like, oh, they're just recreation, right? Yeah, yeah, like, you just play games. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's it. And so it's kind of like when you're in that setting, like you're the low man on the totem pole. And yeah. I mean, I'm a pretty loud voice. I can get my word across pretty well, but I know that there's yeah. lots of people out there that can't or that feel less like not empowered enough to do that. Mm, yeah. So, and, and, and look, that's a really good example also because I, um, we cannot do things alone. Okay. Yeah. And, and sometimes you might be quite strong and you might have a really high level of resilience or greed or, or whatever you, you can call it whatever, but we all need help at some stage. And some mm -hmm. of us might be more vocal, but some of us might not. So when that's the case, we have to utilize the strengths that we have or the skills that we have to still make that breakthrough. It, it is also good to reach out to, um, I don't know about, about uh, different countries, but I know that some places will have mentors. Mm -hmm. uh, so in New Zealand, for example, we, we are like an open line for any of the diversion and recreational therapies that are members. And believe me, my phone just rings in the evenings or they text me. And sometimes people really? will say, hey, look, I don't know how to, um, how to say this to my manager. Or look, this is happening. I want an objective opinion. Can you help me? Mm -hmm. or, uh, or people will ask about, you know, um, we have this policy and I just don't understand. Or my manager has asked me this and I just like really having a clue where, where she's coming from. So we are pretty open. Um, obviously our board, we are all volunteers, but we do understand the importance that not everyone has the ability to speak up loud and clear and they need support. So it is important for people to reach out to people they can trust, but also it is important for them to reach out to the right people. So if you have an organization, a local organization or a, 
state organization or a national organization. And if you are a member, you can also reach out to them and say, hey, guys, my recommendation is why don't we have, you know, a mentorship program about teaching people how to self-advocate for themselves Um, and identifying where the weaknesses are and having the ability to ask for help. It might be an email, especially if you're an introvert. Sometimes you don't want to be in a group or you don't want to be, um, you know, making those phone calls, but maybe you are pretty good at sending an email or a text. And if you explain that to the person, uh, the person actually understands because I had some uh, members that they would just text. And then I used to say, hey, I'll call you. And they said, no, please don't call me. Um, <laughs> and then I would say, oh, okay, just text me. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. So we will just text. Um, but you, but I think it's, it's about us also having a little bit of courage to to let people know the way that, the best way that we communicate, right? Yeah. And, and the kind of support that we need. So um, we have been creating monsters in New Zealand. <laughs> and when I say creating monsters, I say that in a good way. So we have become uh, disruptors in a good way because um, people sometimes they think that, you know, they're going to lose the job if they rock the boat. Yeah. And, and, and we just say, look, do you have a policy about which one will be the case for you to get dismissed, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so look into that. So they will go and look into that and then they will come back and they say, oh, well, no, actually, I can't get fired just for raising my opinion. And I'm like, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I think people need a little bit of guidance on um, how to do it and how to do it in the right way, obviously, so that they can keep safe. Yeah. Well, nowadays, I really like the fact that there's so many different communities out there that are available to this profession, like on Facebook or all of these different groups, right? When Mm -hmm. I started out, we didn't, Facebook wasn't a thing when Mm -hmm. I started out in the field. And so that's telling you how old I am now. And, um, (laughs) and so we didn't have that ability to connect with other people in the field. And so nowadays it's so great that we have that communication and that it can be not only in your own own hometown, but like throughout countries. I know it's amazing. I I love it. You know, I still remember a little bit like, a little bit like you when I was at university, (laughs) like many, many years ago, um, one of the papers that I was taking was about globalization, right? And and because international relations was something quite new back in the 2000s when I was mm-hmm. going to university, it was like, oh my gosh, no, that's, you know, like, that's impossible. How can you even think about that? Mm-hmm. Um, and I was so excited about it, right? It was, it was my thing. Like, this is awesome to be able to just communicate with someone yeah. in another corner of the planet but you share the, the, the same ideas, right? Or the same values. Um, and now um, you see it everywhere. I mean, 10 years ago, you wouldn't see all these Facebook groups and TikTok no. and Instagram and, um, and, you know, MailChimp where everyone gets the same email uh, yeah. or um, video conferencing. It's amazing for anyone to have access to that because I mean obviously there are you know downsides of uh, social media and and the way that how the internet has been evolving especially now with what's the name GP chat or something like yeah, that GPT. But, um, chat GPT yeah 
<laughs> but um but but it's about focusing on on what you are passionate about it and utilizing that as a strength right um and i'm just amazed sometimes to see people sharing their ideas and just getting excited about someone else replying to them or liking the comment um and and another thing that i emphasize for people that have been in the in the industry for a long long time sometimes they become a little bit sarcastic with the young ones um yeah. in the sense of oh there is this exciting workshop about i don't know a silly example um laughter yoga okay yeah and then you will have those ones that have been in the industry for a long long time from the and they obviously are coming from their own experience oh my gosh laughter yoga like i have done that many many times that's useless right yeah but you know you are putting a really negative spin on the young people but also not young uh um i say young in the sense that young to the profession yeah. but they are so excited they are seeing an intervention from their own perspective on how they can implement that to successfully enhance the well-being of someone or one of the clients and then uh someone that has been doing that for a long time comes along and sometimes they don't realize that they put this negative spin so yeah. we need to be um we need to be leaders we need to be mindful on what we say and how we say it and i believe that those of us that have a little bit you know a little bit more experience because no one has a lot of experience yeah. we're always learning um are responsible for encouraging the new generation for you know supporting and nurturing and guiding and, and sharing our knowledge because at the end of the day when you think at the ratios, and I think about New Zealand, we only have less than 3,000 qualified diversion and recreational therapists. Wow. That is to 5 million people, 0.00001 per person. And that makes me think, gosh, what is going to happen when I go into care? Yeah. Like, what sort of programs am I going to be getting if they don't have qualified person in there? Um so that's what we need to, you know, um, we, we are also a catalyzer for change. Um, so we need to be really smart in the way that we are presenting or representing our profession to other people. Well, I always say to anybody that's just entering into the field, I always say, try it once. If it doesn't work, try it again. If it doesn't work, try it again. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, because you're, it could be a different time of day. It could be a different person. It could be, yeah. you know, there's so many different factors just to try exactly. it, you know, and, yeah. and get excited while you're doing it <laughs> because who knows yes. when it will work. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I want to keep it more light right now because we're almost at the end of this okay. time. Um, I want to know, because you are a global leader, where's your favorite place to travel to oh gosh that's a really hard question <laughs> <laughs> well i mean I, I, I have to say my country okay and i suppose it's not not because um look it's not just because my family and my friends are there because obviously home home is a feeling right right so regardless of where you are it's where you feel safe or emotionally safe and physically safe but I think for me is, um, especially now that I have been after 10 years, last December, I went back home. It, it just makes me realize, wow, I mean, every single country, we have our own values, yeah. but 
there is a huge um, amount of things that can be done, but they do need specialists. They mm-hmm. do need um, people that can help them to flourish. And um, I mean, and obviously the food, because uh, I love eating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Me too. laughs> and the places, I mean, the culture. I think, I think my, um, my dad told me once before I, I left the country when I was younger, he said, well, you know, sometimes you have to go really far to find yourself. And it was quite funny because back on those days, I was like, what the heck is he talking about? <laughs> but after all the traveling, and then I ended up in New Zealand in a place that has become my second home and embraced me for who I am. But at the same time, teach me the value of acknowledging where I come from, my roots, my culture, my music, my people, my language. It has been quite, um, you know, rebuilding. Uh, it, it has been a revelation and in, in a good way to actually um, acknowledge that that's the place that I do like to go. I have been to too many countries. I have been um, um, uh, privileged enough to do, you know, savings and then plan and, yeah. and, and go and visit places. But then it, it's home. I think that's yeah. the key. It, it's home. So that's the place that I like to, to visit. Your dad said that you have to go far to find yourself and you literally went to the farthest place possible. (laughs) Like, I'm going to the other side of the world. (laughs) Yeah, totally. And then in terms of up and coming sort of trends or things that are happening in the recreation world, what's something that we should keep our eyes open for? Oh, yes. Okay, so this is super exciting because some people don't know that... um, uh, quite a few organizations do have memorandums of understandings, okay? So, for example, if you are a member of, um, uh, in Canada, CTRA, yeah. uh, and if you want to come to New Zealand and you want to attend our seminars and our conferences, you will be paying the ticket as if you were a member of our organization. So a lot of people don't know that, um, and it's something that I would like to stress. So if, if CTRA... I don't know, you guys have a memorandum of understanding with uh, Australia, mm-hmm. the same rules apply. And we have been working really hard on that just because we have realized that sometimes um, uh, finances might be a barrier. Right? Yeah. So if you are spending all this money to go to the UK and then you happen to be there and then you happen to find that there's a conference happening, and you're a member of um, Diversion and Recreational Therapy New Zealand, then you will be able to attend that conference, which could have cost you double because it's in pounds. Wow. At half a price, right? Amazing. So I think it's something for people to, to keep an eye on. Um, conference happening. So ours is in August um, in Wellington. Uh, the Australian one is in September in Sydney. Um, obviously, uh, the one in in Canada it's in May, which is quite exciting. Yeah. And uh, the one in the United States, so they have uh, obviously ATRA, which I believe is in September, and then NAP, uh, which is the one that I am attending at the end of the month, is in Nevada, and uh, the UK is normally in June. So people just, you know. Keep your eyes open if you happen to be around those places and also look for the online options because you will still have access to the same uh, cost as Mm -hmm. a member of the organization. 
I haven't had the opportunity to go to a giant conference like that in a very, very, very long time. But I remember um, just the feeling that you come out with, you know, yeah. when you see like a keynote speaker or a panel and they are talking about something really exciting. And then you come out as if you are going to change the world. Yes. <laughs> like yes. And look, and that's the point when you come out of these. <laughs> and that's the point of it because everyone needs that i mean you all need it you need that little boost yeah um if it's not every year at least every couple of years to meet with like-minded people to to learn about new trends to connect with people that you share the same values um yeah. to connect with leaders uh with, with your local leaders and say hey what can we do in our area what is this something that I can help with? Um, it is really, really important, especially for people in our profession, to, to get that um, type of motivation and new learning. Because going back to the beginning, we are supporting people that um, every single one of us is unique, Corina. Things yeah. that you might love doing, maybe I'm not, but the things that I love doing some of the, those things you might like doing so every person that we're supporting is unique so when we go and we keep learning then we gain more tools on how mm -hmm. not just to keep enhancing our knowledge and enhancing our potential but also better ways to support the people that we can and support well, thank you for coming on Engaged in Rec today and supporting not only the people that are in New Zealand, but on a global spectrum and sharing all of your knowledge and your expertise and your passion with the people that are listening to this episode right now. I really appreciate it. Oh, no, anytime. Look, and, and to everyone out there, um, like we would say in New Zealand, kia kaha, so keep strong and um, sending you a lots of aroha. So that's a lot of love. And thank you for everything that you guys do everywhere. Because sometimes we work alone and we need someone to actually recognize that what we're doing, it's awesome. And everything yeah. that you're doing is absolutely awesome. So thank you. And you are awesome as well. So I hope that you have <laughs> a beautiful, beautiful day. And thank you so much. <laughs> thank you, Karina. You have a wonderful day, okay? Thank you. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to Engaged in Rec. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, make sure that you subscribe on your listening platforms as well. If you'd like to get in touch with me, Instagram, TikTok, and LinkedIn, Engaged in Rec, or Karina Stickle. I hope that you enjoy your day and I hope that you stay Engaged in Rec.